Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Emma Azon-Giacometti and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in our beautiful state of Tassie. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. And if you're a first-time listener and you enjoy today's episode, remember there are now over 100 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts. Or you can just jump on our website at tict.com.au and stream them from there. We're recording this podcast today on the lands of the Palawa and Pakana, and TICT offers its respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people their elders, past and present, for their enduring care and management of these islands. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner, Hype TV. As a complete production house, Hype has the capability to facilitate the entire production process from concept creation through to media delivery. Hype's core production team consists of industry professionals with decades of experience, and they also have an extensive network of production crews across Tasmania to tailor to your production needs. So thanks to Hype TV for their generous support of TICT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Now we're going to jump into today's conversation with Alicia Pearden, who's the director at Ghost Rock Wines Tasmania. Alicia's one half of the husband and wife duo that co-own Ghost Rock Wines, which is a winery based on the north coast of Tassie, and many of our listeners will be fortunate enough to have visited Ghost Rock Wines themselves. It had humble beginnings, but the winery now has over 30 hectares under vine, an on-site winery, cellar door, restaurant and accommodation, and we're going to chat about all of those on today's episode. The Ghost Rock and Supernatural wines are distributed all over the country and exported to Japan, Hong Kong, the UK and Canada. And Alicia oversees the customer-facing side of the business, encompassing all things tourism, hospitality and events. In a curious twist, Alicia was the founding CEO of Jamie's Australian not-for-profit, and we're talking Jamie Oliver here, and established seven Ministry of Food cooking schools around the country, teaching people how to cook and fight obesity and diet-related disease. And I'm super keen to chat to Alicia about that as well. So Alicia, welcome to Talking Tourism. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for having me. So nice to have you and really exciting um, for our listeners. We typically have these conversations over the phone with just one of us in the studio, but today I've got Alicia with me. So it's really nice to have you here and to get to know you a little better. And I realised um, as I started listing off that very impressive bio, I forgot to check with you if I pronounced your surname correctly. Yes, you did. Excellent. Alicia Pearden is here with us in the studio. So Alicia, from what I can work out, having done a little bit of research on your background and your life story, you made quite the change in 2015. So roughly seven years ago, you left a PR career in Melbourne to move to Northwest Tassie to work in wine. So can you talk us through that decision and what the transition has been like from one lifestyle, which sounds markedly different to the lifestyle that you're living now. Yeah, um, it was a bit of a pipe dream initially, I think, and um, something that we sort of was had a 10-year plan and then it became a five-year plan and then it got fast-tracked really quickly to a two-year plan. I was working in Melbourne for Jamie Oliver at the time and on our weekends and our holidays, we'd be down in Tasmania planting a vineyard next door to my parents-in-law's vineyard, which is Ghost Rock, um, with the view of us eventually having a vineyard down in Tassie. And at the time, 
time, my husband decided that he wanted to start making the wine, so he started studying winemaking. We built the winery at Ghost Rock, and then we knew once we had established that, that it would be time to make the transition down to Tassie. So, yeah, different lifestyle, definitely. Um, I had a six-week-old, my oldest poppy at the time, so it was more of a shock, I think, um, for motherhood as opposed to moving to Tassie. But um, I grew up in the country. I wanted my kids to grow up in the country. You know, I want those wide-open spaces, beautiful scenery around every corner, incredible produce. Um, It was a big draw card, and Mm. so it wasn't a hard decision to make. Do you miss Melbourne ever? It's a 45-minute flight back. So true. The Qantas link at Devonport literally flies over the vineyard. So, um, yeah, it's 45 minutes if I want to get my fix, and I do do it. You get off the island every now and then, but it's it's beautiful to come home. Yeah, awesome. So you name-dropped Jamie Oliver pretty casually into that conversation, (laughs) which I love. Tell us more about that. You were working in PR and specifically with Jamie Oliver's Ministry of Food. Can you talk us through yeah, how that all started? It actually started with a, a gentleman called Andrew Muir, who is a, a philanthropist in Melbourne. He was the owner of The Good Guys, the national retailer at the time of where I was working, a very generous man, and the entire business of The Good Guys was quite philanthropic. And so we approached Jamie Oliver at the time to bring his Ministry of Food concept to Australia. It was at a time when Jamie had been banging his head up against a brick wall, working with governments in the UK, and he had hadn't actually gone into the US at that point. And it was the first time he'd been approached by a corporate partner um, to get behind him. And so Andrew put up $5 million over five years to bring the concept to Australia and um, we established his not-for-profit in the country. So yeah, it was a bit of a dream and a whirlwind uh, tour. It wasn't a job, it was something you just bounded out of bed every day I and um, and loved to do. And yeah, over the five-year period, we built built seven cooking schools around the country, teaching people how to cook and giving people the skills uh, to fight diet-related disease and obesity. Amazing. You make it sound probably a lot simpler than it really (laughs) was. I think, you know, not necessarily a Jamie Oliver um, character, but there there might be other people that tourism operators listening today, um, you know, might aspirationally look at and they might be interstate, they might be overseas like Jamie was, and someone who you could really leverage to be part of a brand that you want to bring either into your own brand or into the country generally. What does the process look like to woo someone outside of the, the financial investment? What was your role in in wooing Jamie over to Australia? Yeah, there was an alignment there for the good guys because of the cooking category and their philanthropic giving. Um, And for Jamie, uh, at the time, Australia was one of his biggest markets. Um, And so he had a strong foothold in the UK and um, obesity was a bigger problem here in Australia, if not probably worse a little bit than what it was in the UK. So we gave him that opportunity to extend um, his social campaigning and enterprising um, here in the country. So it was about making sure that we both had the aligned strategic objectives, I guess, at the time. Governments in the country at the time still are. um, We're throwing a lot of money behind trying to educate um, the general public about the basics in cooking as a way of sort of preventing that trajectory of increasing of obesity and and in diet-related disease in the country, mostly diabetes. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, And you can tell just by chatting to you and hearing the sort of language you're using, you've clearly got a background in PR and that sort of community engagement. How has that translated over to your role now with Ghost Rock? I do have a background in marketing and PR. 
Absolutely. The skills I learned in the earlier part of my career have contributed um, to that. My husband also has a background in advertising. So the marketing and the PR stuff, uh, I guess, comes naturally. When I started working for Jamie, it was a startup organisation. So it was a, um, I was the first employee, I literally built it from the ground up. Um, So I think the skills that I learnt in that role um, gave me the perfect foothold for what I'm doing now with the Ghost Rock business. Um, You sort of become a jack of all trades. You've got to be across everything. Um, but the biggest lesson I think I learned out of everything is um, get the right people around you, get good people around you that are good at what they do. Mm. And um, we would be nothing at Ghost Rock if it wasn't for the team around us. They are fa- fantastic. A great point to make there because I think most of us in the industry are feeling the pinch of finding the right people and finding enough people. What has been your strategy around um, attracting and retaining really great great crew. Yeah, it's tough at the moment, really tough, particularly in hospitality, I think. Finding chefs pre-COVID was really hard, but finding chefs post-COVID is exceptionally hard. Yeah. We're really lucky. We've got uh, some staff that have been with us for a long time. Uh, it's all about looking after your staff. Yeah, particularly in a regional area like where we are, it is exceptionally hard to try and find good staff. We do a little bit of everything. We try and find um, people coming out of college or, uni- or um, school and have got an interest in a career in tourism, hospitality, and we train them from the ground up. And then we try and attract people um, within the wine industry as well. Mm. But we've got a pretty good team at the moment, but we're always looking for staff. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, great to hear that you have had people on board for many years. You mentioned it's all about looking after them. Practically, Mm. what does that mean? What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's about giving them lifestyle. It's not all about work. So that flexibility uh, where you can um, and encouraging people to grow. So if people are interested in developing their skills or trying different things in the business, then we're always open to that. Um, and, yeah, giving people that that work-life balance if, if there's such a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. And I think the other, the other tricky part of what you've just touched on is that often um, giving people the opportunity to dabble in different parts of the business actually means that you need to take your hands off. And as owner operators, what's that experience been like to be able to allow other people to come in and and play around with your product and your brand? Yeah, I think you get to a point where you realise you can't do it all Mm. um, and your time spreads thin and then you start doing a bad job across everything. So when you start to get some scale about your business, you realise that you've got to bring people in and let go and trust the people that you've brought in to be able to carry carry it forward for you and, mm. and be the face of the brand where you need it, essentially. Or if it's from the production side of things, you know, doing the hard yards in the vineyard and in the in the winery. So it's mm. about putting trust in people, really. Yeah, yeah. Talk about scale. It's seven years now since you moved to Tassie and yeah. I imagine things have changed dramatically in the business <laughs> since you, you first moved over. What's it look like and, and what's that process been like and perhaps what's it going to look like into the future as well? Yeah, we've certainly had our foot on the pedal thanks to my husband, since we hit the ground here in Tasmania. Uh, Look, our parents, my parents-in-law, so Justin's parents, started Ghost Rock um, roughly about 20 years ago and um, they did an incredible job setting up the foothold for the business. So much so they were told that they were mad planting uh, vines where we've actually put them. We 
were told that we'd never get warm enough to be able to ripen it and fast track now and we're now just under 30 hectares of vines around Ghost Rock. Yeah, so I remember our first year, seven years ago, when we did our first vintage out of the winery, we did around 50 tonne and the vintage just been we did 240 tonne of uh, fruit. So it's certainly grown exponentially. Um, So that's from the vineyard side of things. So with that obviously comes wine. Uh, We still have a massive supply and demand issue where we can't keep up with the demand. Um, So my husband's forever looking for more land to put in more uh, more vines. Um, And then from the hospitality and the tourism side of business, we've, uh, the cellar door was originally built to be a weekend thing, open for a few hours for the local community and um, my parents and laws friends to come in. Fast forward now and it's a fully fledged restaurant. We're open seven days a week in the peak of summer um, and we've got an event space where we do events as well. So yeah, it's a it's a fully fledged, uh, well there's a cellar door of course, um, but it's a fully fledged um, hospitality business as well. Yeah, so was that a bit of a, uh, for want of a better word, a pivot to go from something that was geared towards just a, you know, weekend locals and your, your friends to now a a much broader scope of market, including presumably a visiting tourist market. Have you had to change the product or the brand to cater differently to those markets? 100%. Yeah. We're not in a a major wine region. Um, In fact, we're one of the first in the area, so we've pioneered the region. There's lots of producers. So there's the Cradle Coast Tasting Trail around us. So there's lots of producers of chocolate and cheese and salmon and other distilleries and things, you name it. But we're the only winery on the North Coast. There's vineyards now popping up around us, which is fantastic, but the only winery. So what that means is that you become a destination. People Mm -hmm. Got to drive to you for a reason. It's not like they're in the area doing the wine trail route. Uh, so for us, it was about creating an experience. When people come through the gates at Ghost Rock, you want them to come in, relax, have a lunch, do a wine tasting, take their time, take in the scenery. Um, we've got beautiful views out over Bass Strait, over the vineyard. Um, so it's about really, uh, you know, immersing themselves, I guess, whilst they're there um, and making it worth the trip why they mm-hmm. came to us. So that was the main drive for us for extending. Extending, extending the offering that we have in the restaurant. Yeah, so obviously, you know, your your brand is a wine brand. You're, you're there on a vineyard. It's all about the grapes and the wine. But to at the same time, it's almost, it's not all about the wine, is it? And, and I'd love to hear your opinion on how important a food offering is in these sorts of experiences. And um, perhaps maybe particularly because you are this sort of destination that you go to outside of really anything else, does the food offering need to be really good or can you get away with just something? Yeah. Love to have your opinion on that. Um, I 100% think the food needs to be really good. Um, For me, food and wine, it's like a marriage. They go hand in hand. Um, When you try wine without food and then you try it with food, there's a remarkable difference Mm. um, with it. And the food almost makes the wine sing. So for us, it goes hand in hand. Um, And if you're going to do food, you've got to do it properly, Mm. in my view. And we are literally surrounded by incredible produce um, around the Cradle Coast area um, and it's it's it, does, it doesn't take much to actually showcase that produce mm. um, and it goes perfectly with our wine and so it's really just about showcasing what we've got on offer keeping it simple but doing it well and um, yeah there's not a lot of um, 
Ha, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's not a lot of restaurants, so to speak, in the sort of northwest area. Um, so we saw there was a bit of a gap in the area in yeah. the market there um, as well. So that was the other driving force. Yeah, well, so much of brand Tasmania sort of hinges on that food experience, doesn't it? I think we really can't get away. Even if the the um, primary product isn't food, we really can't get away without providing exceptional produce and a really great food experience with our, our tourism uh, products as well. You also mentioned events and I understand that you regularly host pretty large scale events. Was that a gap in the market that you'd identified and talk us through how that works, particularly given the fact that Ghost Rock does sit sort of out there by itself as a destination? How do you manage events and and what was the driving force behind starting to host them on your vineyard? Yeah, we hold an annual event called Ghost Rock Concert in the Vines. It's usually held the end of February or early March. And um, this year we just had our 10th concert, which should have happened in the middle of COVID, but didn't. And yeah, we got uh, just under uh, 2,000 people coming along to that event. I'd say 50% of the people that come to the event come because they've always come. And it's just um, one of those iconic events on the social calendar where it's still quite community-based and a good feel about it. And the other 50% come for whoever the lineup is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, we love putting it on. It's a fantastic event. Um, it brings in people from all over the state and even interstate. Um, it's a particular genre that come along to it. So it's all the oldies. Yeah. Um, and it's a really good day. And we're starting to see a lot more of that younger generation coming along now. Um, and yeah, it's just a fantastic event on the calendar. We also just recently did the Trail Graze event, which was part of the um, Cradle to Coast Tasting Trail event. And I certainly saw that as a a gap in the market up there as Mm. well, um, whereby we had this incredible trail um, and it was all about opening up the gates and bringing people behind the scenes and letting people um, see firsthand um, how the produce is made and getting to know the characters and the people behind it Mm. and really bringing that to life. And um, for our first year off the back of COVID, that was hugely successful as well. Great. And you've really touched on there the agritourism thing, which I think undeniably is, you know, one of the fastest growing subsectors in the tourism industry. Are you noticing that, that your visitors from interstate and probably even intrastate, what they're interested in is really getting that look, you know, behind the gate, that, that something is open to them that wouldn't otherwise be. It's almost like unlocking the secrets of what really happens. Are you noticing that from your market? Yeah, absolutely. I think seven years ago before we moved to Tassie, I felt it bubbling away then mm. and it's just, it's taken a while to get momentum, if I'm honest. But um, absolutely, I think people, even post-COVID, people are wanting to get out and actually see where the produce comes from and meet the people behind it and to see the personality and actually go and visit and get a feel for the mm. place as opposed to seeing it online or on Instagram and things like that. So, yeah, and people are just wanting to travel again as well. Mm. So I really do think those things have all come together um, at a perfect time. Yeah. So, I mean, the pressure's sort of on, um, particularly for producers, to really be creating these experiences that do make a guest feel like they got something that they wouldn't have otherwise, that they, you know, something to put on Instagram or something to tell their friends when they get home, that they got to look behind the scenes. How are you catering to to that sort of new need in the market? Yeah, I don't see it as pressure. I just think it, see it as an extension of what you already offer. We're already doing it, really. So mm. it's just about bringing it to life and about creating an experience that 
people can um, can get their hands into really. So for us, for that trail graze weekend, we happened to be harvesting and so we took people literally into the vineyard and we Brilliant. showed them the harvesting process. We then took them into the winery. Um, they got to see us, um, you know, processing the grapes within the winery, tasting unfinished wine to finished cool. wine and really getting to see it in two hours, mm. literally the process from beginning to end. Um, and people are floored at the amount of effort that goes into mm. just making one bottle of wine. And so it's so good to be able to show people that because if there is a lot of skill and a lot of effort that goes into it. Mm. And and I think you touched on too, you know, it's the people behind it as well. It's not just the product. It's people want to, you know, see and touch the product, but also meet the character behind it and understand the story that, that got them there, which is quite uniquely Tasmanian, I feel, that people really come to the island state and um, are looking for those experiences, but not only looking, they're actually getting them and and in quite good volume, mm. particularly in the regional parts of Tassie, which is awesome. We've touched on now wine, food, experience, events. There's a fair bit going on for you guys, but you've also got an accommodation offering out there at Ghost Rock. Yeah. Tell us about that. Is that new? Was that a gap in the market once again? And how are you juggling all of these different balls? Yeah, it is new. Um, it's a three-bedroom house. It literally sits next door to our cellar door, although you wouldn't know it's there because it's in private landscape gardens, so it's sort of behind behind a um, beautiful big garden. But it's, yeah, a three-bedroom house. It overlooks the vineyard and out to Bass Strait. Um, we've just launched it, really, and it's a place where people can come and stay. They can meander next door and have a nice long lunch. Brilliant. We offer the opportunity for people to have the chef come in and cook dinner for them. And it's just a base people for, to really explore the region. We're five minutes down the road from uh, Port Sorrel and Hawley Beach. Um, and it, you're a, it's a great uh, central spot to be able to explore the northwest of Tassie. Yeah, great. Do you see that as being a, a part of your brand positioning to yeah. have that accommodation? Yeah, we do. We, we've we've always had a lot of interest from people where to stay in the area. Sure. Um, so it, it definitely gives people that that base. Yeah, so not mm-hmm. resting on your laurels. Is there anything else in the pipeline that you can share with us? Oh, there's always things in the pipeline, <laughs> if you know my husband. Um, no, I've decided to go back and study um, after 25 years, um, which is a bit of a shock to the system. But over COVID, when we were renovating the house, um, that is now the accommodation, and I've renovated a couple of other places. I've really enjoyed the process. We're about to renovate our cellar door um, cool. and all that's so our restaurant, actually, and extend the footprint. Um, in our restaurant so that we can fit more people in over the winter months. Um, and so I've really enjoyed that process. So I've gone back to study interior design and um, I think I'll probably take a step back from Ghost Rock um, and sink my teeth more into that. So stay yeah, tuned great. in that space. Oh, good luck. Mm. That's so cool. I want to ask you just about one thing. Um, it's, it's really out of personal interest because I noticed that you've got the supernatural portfolio of Ghost Rock wines, which from what I can work out is quite an experimental line um, of labels, which in a wine market like Tasmania um, could be a bit risky because they're uh, certainly from an intrastate point of view, I think we still have a little bit of, there's a little bit of resistance to these funky style new world wines. How has your Supernatural label been received and how's it going um, from an export point of view to yeah. to um, markets around the world? Yeah, it's um, flying. Is, is it really? Is, awesome. Is the, is the single word I can give you. Um, we actually built the Supernatural brand to... Um, 
address a gap, what we felt was a gap in the market on the mainland where you couldn't really get good um, Tassie Pinot Noir for sub $30. Mm. And so we did the Supernatural Pinot Noir. And then off the back of that, the Supernatural range has expanded and it's our experimental range, if you like. Um, so it's designed for the hipsters, as, as you say, yeah. in a way. Um, so we have a pet nat, we have a cellar rat, we do some skinsy things. We've got a Gwertz coming out this this year. So there's some exciting things in there. And um, it definitely um, took off in the Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane markets. Um, but Tassie is not far behind. Oh, like we're having hear. to keep a lot, of it, a lot of it here in the state now. Yeah. So I think... I think um, Tassie's wine industry here in the state is not that old when you mm. think about all the other wine regions in the country and around the world for that matter. Um, so it's only young and it has been quite conservative, but it, for a good reason because the premium produce, the te- premium wines here are outstanding. Yeah, I think there is a gap in the market there for, for a little bit more experimental and um, and left to centre wines. Yeah, and so we're good. finding that, particularly we we're just doing Dark Mofo at the moment and the appeal there has been really, really exciting. Oh, thank goodness for our East Coast hipsters who Mm. were hopefully gleaning a little bit off. I'm hoping to become as cool as one of them one day. (laughs) With that, we might jump into the big seven. Mm. Alicia, I gave you a little bit of prep on this. These are our big seven questions that we ask every guest and uh, we find that people are judged mostly on their response to these. So good luck. We'll start with number one, your favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Oh, I have to say it's been a long bay on the east coast. The Bay of Fires area is just outstanding. Every time I go there, my mouth, my jaw's on the mm. ground. It's just stunning. Even on a bad day, it's it's beauty everywhere. It's yeah. just gorgeous. We are so lucky. What about anywhere in the world? What's your favourite travel destination? Oh, I'd have to say it's the south of France, probably around Bendol, good um, French rosé mm. and um, the Mediterranean. It's hard to beat. Yeah, sounds all right. What about if someone was coming to Tassie for the first time in their lives? Lots of people doing it at the moment. As you mentioned, we're in the midst of dark mofo as we're recording and they ask you, one thing they absolutely must experience. What's your advice? It's probably iconic and everybody probably says it, but I really do think Pump House Point is outstanding. Like you really do feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness. And if you climb Mount Rufus, and we did it on a day where we were in hip deep snow, Every For 360 degrees, you just see mountains. It is stunning. Wow. Hip deep snow doesn't sound like my idea of a good time. But <laughs> <That's great. laughs> you enjoyed it. While we're talking walking, I'm going to put you on the overland track for five days and you can take three people with you. Anyone in the world, famous, not so famous, living or dead, who are you taking and why? I would take Zoe Foster Blake because I just think she is outstanding in her success um, as a woman and what she's done. <clears throat> I would take Ben Crow to get me there from one end to the other mm-hmm. and I would take Hugh Van Cullenberg for the goofy jokes. Perfect. I love it. She's definitely thought these through. And if you're road tripping around Tasmania, what are you listening to in the car? Oh, I found this question hard. Um, if I've got the kids with me, it's anything from Vance Joy to Baby Yoda. But um, <laughs> I'm actually a podcast fan, so I'd probably have a podcast on if I'm honest. Oh, cool. Hopefully you can be listening to this one next time you do a road trip around Tassie. When you arrive at your destination, what is your drink of choice? Uh, well, when you're married to a winemaker, you don't really get much of a choice <laughs> and it's always something different. But he knows me well. He'd probably put champagne in front of me first. Perfect. Good man. And the last big one, the big debate, curried Tasmanian scallops. Are they a culinary delight 
or a culinary crime. Absolute crime. Thank you so much. I agree. (laughs) Alicia, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. All the best with the rest of the winter feast at Dark Mofo and with everything that's in the pipeline for you and Ghost Rock Wines. And to you, our listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember, you can subscribe to hear more episodes. We release them every two weeks or so. And remember, please tell a friend or a tourism colleague to check out our podcasts. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania and today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner Hype TV. And a big thanks goes also to Caleb Miller at Mac40 who's our audio specialist. He produces these episodes and he does a brilliant job. I'm your host Emma Azon Giacometti and I'll look forward to catching up next time.